One thing that was not mentioned earlier is I am from Knoxville, um, and as most of you guys know, it was a big day yesterday, huh? Yeah, uh, so go Vols. I uh, just want to give that first. Um, but I want to lead us in a quick prayer um, just before I start. So, Heavenly Father, we come before you today. You are the anchor of our soul. Uh, I pray that you're with us in today, tomorrow, and the rest of the week. pray that you give us strength, give us compassion, pray that we go out into this world and that we're ready to be a reflection of you, God. All this by your heavenly name. Amen. So do we have any note takers today? I'm going to make it real easy. I'm going to say these are the points, all right? So whenever I say the points are there, be sure to write those down. But the one big question I'm answering today is why did Jesus die for us? Why did he need to die for us? Um, It's something that we understand inherently because we are Christians, We wouldn't be Christians without him dying for us. But sometimes I feel like we pass over that idea of why he needed to die for us. What does it mean? Where does it come from? Why did Jesus Christ need to die for us? And why was that the way that God did this? So we know a few things, first of all. One, we are inherently sinful. So Romans 3.23 says, We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that verse we hear often. And if you don't think you've sinned, 1 John 2.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. You are lying to yourself. So that's a sin. But we know because that we have sinned, we deserve something terrible, and that is death. We go back to Romans 6.23. It says, For the wages of sin is death. We know we have this terrible punishment that we deserve, which is death. But how do we know that, Right? So we'll have to back it up all the way to Leviticus 16. And I'm not going to preach through Leviticus 16. That that would be a crime for someone who's 21 years old to walk into a random church and preach through Leviticus. That would be terrible. But we know through Leviticus that the punishment is death. And in order to live, Leviticus 16 says we need atonement. It's uh, it's, It's the portion of Leviticus where it talks about the atonement sacrifice. And it's a beautiful passage if you know what you're looking for. We know one thing is that God is judge. And we know another thing is that in order for his people to atone for his sins, he made a system to judge with. And he made a system to atone with. And that is the Levitical six, uh, Leviticus 16 portion. So uh, my first point for you note taker over there, uh, we need atonement. There's a system for that. Praise God. So Leviticus 16, I'm not going to read it because, again, that would be a crime. But in that passage, it talks about the high priest and the sacrifices needed for everything. So I think it takes a bull and two goats for everything to be done. Uh, so if you guys want to go out and get a bull and two goats for me, I'll, I'm, we don't need that. But uh, to start off, uh, the high priest had to go and bathe himself, wash himself clean, and then put on a special garment. It was very fashionable. They had like different stones and it, you know, he stood out. He stood out. If, you, if you know, your regular day garb was being worn next to him, he would, you know, be noticeable out in the streets. It would be like me wearing, like, tons of jewelry and stuff like that and then walking through the middle of everybody. You'd know I was the guy, right? He had to kill a bull after being cleaned and dressed for his own sins. The reason he had to do that is so he could approach God. He had to go into the Holy of Holies to even make these sacrifices. And even though he was clean and he had sacrificed a bull for his own sins, 
he still couldn't see God. God still had a had a cloud around himself so that the presence of God would not kill him. That's how holy God is compared to even us at our cleanest. That his his presence, we cannot withstand it, even at our best. But don't worry. We'll get to that later. So there's the curtain. He goes through the curtain. Clouded God. Can't see him, but he's there. He has two goats. He casts a lot over these goats. So uh, lots are like whenever you roll dice or whatever, you get the certain outcome. Pretty much what that was doing. I know it's a little weird for us to talk about lots uh, in the church, you know, gambling. It's a little weird. I know. But what was going on here is Proverbs 3.23 says, or 3.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is of the Lord. Meaning, God was the one who decided which goat was his and which goat was the other one. We'll talk about what exactly the goats did. So the first goat was the sin offering. There are two things that had to happen. One, death had to happen for our sins. I know this is boring, but we'll get through it, I promise. Death had to happen for our sins. This is the sin offering. But because it was an imperfect world and this goat was imperfect, we still need to get rid of our sins. Like we had to pay the price, but we still had the sins, so we had to place the blame on something else. This is where that second goat comes in hand. It's the uh, the word that they use is azazul, which literally means like scapegoat. It was like a, a, they named the place where they would like dump the goats, which um, I feel like we should have something like that, right? Where we go and anyways. But yeah, so they had these goats. One was a sin offering. One was for the removal of sins. Like the high priest had to place his hands, announce the sins of Israel on both of them. One died. One got dumped out in the wilderness. But that's what we needed to go through. That is the system put in place. But it was only for the Israelites. Otherwise, we deserve that. We deserve to be died and dumped, right? Uh, but God, God is merciful. He's a great God. He did not put us through that. But we don't see an answer in Leviticus 16. That's why it's a crime to read it to you guys. Because if I just offered you no hope, why am I here, right? But I feel like we all know how God fixed this. I feel like the kids over here know. Do the kids know who fixed the problem? I heard I heard it. Jesus, that's right. Jesus fixed the issue. So here's point two. Jesus, the high priest and the sacrifice. But we know Jesus as like the really powerful God. Yeah, he's the really powerful God. But he's powerful because he's the high priest and the sacrifice as well. That's how we know him. That's how we, as American Christians, know him. I don't know the ethnicity of most of you guys, but I assume most of us aren't Jewish. I know I'm not. The only reason I get to be atoned for is because of Jesus Christ. Thank God. Thank God for that. So enter Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. He is the one who we're going to rely on for the rest of this sermon. So he acts as two separate parts. Again, I said the high priest and the sacrifice. But how could he do two separate parts of this system? The simple answer is he is God, right? Uh, But that's kind of a cop-out, so I'll explain it a little more. He is God. We're going to start in Hebrews 5, 1 through 10. I'll give you guys a second to flip to that. Hebrews 5, 1 through 10.
By the way, Hebrews is a fantastic passage if you want to read through Leviticus. It talks about all the different sacrifices and shows you where Jesus is throughout his ministry and what he has done. So it's, I highly recommend that if you're going to read through it. Starting in verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So this passage had a little bit of spoiler alert for the end, uh, that you know, eternal salvation, as if we didn't already know that. But um, the whole point of what he's saying right here was that Jesus Christ was decreed the next high priest after Melchizedek, after the lineage of Melchizedek. We no longer need Melchizedek because we have the perfect high priest, Jesus Christ. Hooray, that's good, right? That's good. We don't need to extend something that's imperfect. Our hope is guaranteed because God decreed it, though, that God decreed that he was the high priest, the perfect high priest. So we're going to flip over. going to go real fast through 6, 19 through 20. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There it is. Why is he the high priest? Because he gets to go behind the curtain argue on our behalf. Praise God, that is not up to me. I don't know if I could convince a lot of people that I am blameless, right? But he convinces people that he is blameless. And ultimately, he convinces God that he is blameless in place of us. Whoa, right? Thank God. The promise of God is also absolute. We can rest in that, that the promise of God is absolute, since it was decreed. Uh, in his promise, we understand that the law did not make anything perfect or pure, though. It simply made it, made it uh, clean or left it clean. So everything that we just talked about in Leviticus 16 did not perfect anybody. It was, it was not complete. All those people only offered atonement to be made clean, only to do it again the next day or next week, following after and after again. Aren't you lucky that we don't have to keep killing Jesus over and over again, right? Because he was so perfect. But the system that God put in place in Leviticus 16 was imperfect because it needed a solution. Even in Leviticus 16, it was understood that the next step would be a perfect high priest and a perfect sacrifice. Or else it would be insufficient. And I don't serve an insufficient God. Neither did they. So they knew that a high priest was coming. In fact, 
It only got better from the Old Covenant. We go to Hebrews 7, 22. Flip a page there. It says, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. So that's why we call it the Old Testament and the New Testament. Is the Old Testament relies on the Old Covenant. The New Testament relies on the New Covenant. We live under the New Testament. But it was necessary for Jesus to become the high priest because he was the only perfect being. He was the only perfection out there. And we're going to go to Hebrews 7, 26-28. I know we're skipping through the Bible quite a bit. Sorry for that. But For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unsustained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests that offer daily sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appointed a son who has been made perfect forever. Mm. All right, but that presents a problem. It talked about a sacrifice there and a perfect one. We have a perfect high priest. We have proof of a perfect high priest. But what? where did the perfect sacrifice come from? Where did that whole talk come from? Jesus sacrifices himself. He fixes that problem. He is God and he fixes that problem of the high priest and the sacrifice. No longer is there so many separate entities. He didn't need to clean himself as the high priest. He was already perfect and clean. He didn't need to clean himself as the sacrifice. He was already perfect and clean. If you read through Leviticus, you'll see all these things that after they sacrificed the animals, they couldn't leave it there because it was an imperfect thing. They had to get rid of all the ashes and all the, all the discarded parts of the animal. They had to get rid of that. It was not sufficient to stay inside the temple. So they had to keep repeating it for atonement. It was not a perfect sacrifice. The animals were imperfect. And it is necessary that he die for us. He paid the atonement and he, uh, he paid the atonement and a scapegoat is not necessary anymore because of his perfection and sacrifice and perfection and priesthood. No longer do we need that second goat. One perfect sacrifice not only took the payment of our sins, no longer paid the atonement, but ultimately got rid of it. That's a great sacrifice. That is a beautiful sacrifice. Church, where would we be without that beautiful sacrifice? We'd be still killing goats. Praise God. Because he was perfect, we no longer need to place our blame on something else and remove it. God is the perfect sacrifice, so we don't need to kill two goats. We have one sacrifice, takes the sin, dies for the sin, and keeps the sin. He is making us perfect. That is the beauty of the gospel, is that we are no longer being cleaned. We are being perfected. Hebrews 9, 11-14 says this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not the, not the creation, which that means heaven, uh, that's the uh, more perfect tent, he entered once for all, into the holy place, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of the goats and bulls and the sprinkled of defiled pers- sprinkling of the defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify 
for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We are no longer owing death. That's the beauty. Again, he fulfilled everything that was lacking in Leviticus. That boring part I talked about earlier is much more lively now. It's no longer about dead works and dead hands and dead people. It's about a living God, a breathing God, a perfect God. He fulfilled all of that. Every bit of it. We're going to flip over again. I'm speeding through Hebrews. I'm giving you the quickest rundown in the first ten chapters as I can. Uh, Going to Hebrews 10, verse 10 through 14. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. By the way, sanctification means to be purified. We're being purified and perfected. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So we're being purified and perfected, all of us throughout all time. The faithful in the Old Testament, that daily sacrifice goats, are now being perfected by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Back in first century Greece, uh, first century Israel, all the way back to Moses and Abraham, those sacrifices throughout the Israelites, all those bits of sacrifices and their faithfulness, they are being perfected by man in the first century Middle East. Even now, we are being perfected. In that day, they are being perfected and made pure by his sacrifice. Now, the one thing that's beautiful about this, and also immediately sad, is in Leviticus... Every time there was a sacrifice, it talked about the aroma being pleasing to the Lord. The aroma of, of the goats, whenever it lifted up into his holy presence, it was pleasing to the Lord. But the Lord, that means, I mean, Jesus Christ, who was already pre- pleasing to the Father. Whenever he got baptized, the Father spoke to the people and said, This is my Son for whom I am well pleased. He did not need death to satisfy the Lord. He didn't need to pay atonement. He was already pleasing to the Lord. Yet he died for us anyways. And he died for us because he is the perfect enactment for the seal of the new covenant. Now the covenants in the Bible, they required blood. And Jesus volunteered for us to have a new covenant. Making us clean and freeing us of guilt. That's the whole thing that separates us. From everyone else. We, since we are Christians, we are clean and free of guilt because He is so gracious to us. Mm. So the perfect high priest and the perfect sacrifice still leaves one problem death. He, he died, right? I mean, we know that He resurrected, but why could He resurrect? Because He's a perfect God, He's a perfect Savior. A perfect Savior does not simply atone by dying. But a perfect Savior beats death. He beats death, came back, gave a mission to his disciples to make disciples of all nations, went to heaven, and now he is awaiting return. 
A good savior does not simply die. It's not like a modern American movies where we, we see those guys that go and they die for their, their teammates or their family or something like that. That's a good hero. That is not a good savior. It takes a few seconds to make a hero. It takes all eternity to make a savior. He has enacted on his death, cleaning all, so that on his return, he does not have to clean sins, but can be here for those who are eagerly awaiting him. We can be patient and loving and kind, and we can be eager at the same time. That kind of runs. Um, but we are eagerly awaiting him. And because we are clean, we don't need to kill two goats before we get to see him. We don't need to send a scapegoat. We don't need to sacrifice a bull to be clean. We don't need to kill birds or uh, sheep or young bulls and stuff like that. We get to eagerly await. We have no more preparation. We are being prepared as we wait. Now, brothers and sisters, there is no more need for a special race of God, though. The Israelites have carried out their purpose. Faithfully, they carried out their purpose. Well, I can't say faithfully if you've read the Bible. But they carried out their purpose as the people of God. Now it is us who are the people of God. The believers, both Jew and Gentile, are the believers of God. And we are his people. We have one purpose. We are not bearing the Messiah for hope to come. Right. We have hope now. We are bearing the hope now. We carry with us day to day because we are made clean. We carry the hope now. What that means is that sin is finished. Sin is done. Jesus really said it best. Whenever he died, whenever his blood was spilled, whenever he finally passed. On that cross, he said it is finished. Sin is finished. The old covenant is finished and completed. Everything that we have been waiting for was guaranteed upon him saying it is finished. We no longer have to fight and suffer and sacrifice to be made clean because we already are being made perfect. We're not being made clean, we're being made perfect. How much better of a covenant could it get? We no longer rely on, on sacrificing goats like I said. Because that is imperfect. So point three, and this is my favorite point, it is finished, so act like it. That's the big part of a step in the Christian faith, is that sometimes we are so downtrodden upon what we have done. We are sinners, and we recognize that. Sometimes we are too busy groveling. Well, uh, there's a scene in Monty Python where the, the, the guy is just sit, sitting there groveling. And, and I, I think, you know, what happened next was true to character. He said, stop groveling. It's, it gets so much that if we're going to sit here and grovel, we're not believing that it has been made done. We're being perfected. So it is finished. Act like it. Trust God with your sins. Not just your sins of the past and your sufferings of the past and your depressions of the past. Not just the sins and your, your sufferings of the present. Not just your anxieties of the future and your sins of the future trust all those together in God put all those to him you're making a mockery of Jesus' death if you're not trusting him to care for your sins now it's one thing to rely on him to make you perfect it's another thing to keep sinning a true believer just accepts that they have sinned they ask for forgiveness and they trust God with the rest 
Because we are powerless in the face of death. I know it's morbid, but one day we will all pass away. That's reality. Unless the Lord comes, can't really predict that. But one day we will all not be here anymore. We can struggle and toil until we find something to leave behind. We can struggle and fight to make money. We can struggle and fight to make an impact. But at the end of the day, we will pass away. The one thing that we should do, though, in the words of Jesus as he was talking to Peter, he says, on this rock, in, in, that, in the original language, he says Petros, which is just Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. The one thing that we can do is be a rock. What does that mean? Well, we know that our foundation is Christ, and what he has done is our foundation. The one thing that we can owe God is being firm and faithful. The one thing that we have power to do is to last. And all of us, if we are firm and faithful, Christ will build his church. He will stack another and another and another, put us together, and create the living body of Christ and the living church, the big C church. That is the beauty of what's happening, is that we're no longer on our own. You had your own sins to fight for and die for whenever you were in the old covenant. But now we're in the new covenant. Jesus already fought and died for our sins. So we are together being made perfect. Jesus is the builder. And we just need to remain faithful and firm on him. And he will use us to build. So I know you guys are in a similar situation as my church. While ours is new, you guys are fighting to stay. But together, as believers, we need to fight to be built. Not simply fight to grow. But fight to be built, be firm, be faithful, and hopefully keep adding more to those ranks. Unity and prosperous. That's what we hope for when Jesus is in control. Now the last little thing I'm going to do is I'm going to read through Hebrews 19 through 39. It's a big chunk, so it's going to take a bit of time. But I just love this portion. While it's kind of terrifying in bits, and you'll understand why I say that, the last line gets me every time. The beauty of the last line is incredible. So Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience in our bodies, washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, as in the day Christ returns. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there is no longer remains there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? And has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified 
and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partnered with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So remember, church, despite affliction, despite pain, despite loss, we have one job. That is, to preserve our soul and have faith. That is my one encouragement to you all. As someone going through a similar situation with our church, that is the one thing that we need Faith and perseverance. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to be here today, to see another church full of fellow believers. I pray that they remain faithful, just as our church remains faithful. I pray that we remain praying for them, and they remain praying for us, Father, that we all Just look to you as our one true hope, that we don't rely on our own abilities and our own actions, that we can rely just on you, Father, you alone. Rely on your son's sacrifice. Rely on the sealing with your your spirit, God. All this by your name. Amen.